Hey there, Hit Like a Girl Pod listeners. We've got some exciting news that's too good to keep to ourselves. You all know Grace Minton, whose stories have captivated us over the past couple years. Well, Grace has been doing such an amazing job with her show, High Tea with Grace, that it's time for her to shine even brighter. Yes, you heard that right. High Tea with Grace has graduated to its own show with its own brand new RSS feed. While we've loved sharing Grace's episodes as special bonuses on the Hit Like a Girl pod, it's now time to give Grace the spotlight she deserves. So what does that mean for you? To continue enjoying the compelling stories and insights from Grace, head over to your favorite podcast platform and hit that subscribe button for High Tea with Grace. Trust us, you don't want to miss out on what she has in store. Her latest series is dedicated to understanding the VC funding world, aka Fund Like a Girl. Thank you for supporting us, and let's show some love for Grace on her exciting new journey. Remember, search for High Tea with Grace and subscribe today. Like a Girl podcast. This is High Tea with Grace, where we spill the tea on HIT. I'm honored to welcome Patty Hayward from TalkDesk. She is a vice president of strategy for healthcare and life sciences over there. And I just can't wait for you all to meet her. Patty, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Grace. It's great to be here. So tell us a little bit about the journey that brought you to TalkDesk. I know you worked at McKesson, Medicity, Humedica, and you have a ton of uh, expertise in HIEs, population health, pharmacy, process redesign for healthcare systems. I mean, oh, and increasing access to patient information, which is something <laughs> that I'm constantly tracking. You're an amazing thought leader. So yeah, tell us a bit about your journey that brought you to where you are now. Yeah, thank you. You know, um, so you, you kind of give a, a flyby of all the things that I've done in the past. And, and really, when I was looking <clears throat> at what I wanted to do next, I think there was some really important aspects. When I think about where we are today in healthcare, there's such an inflection point, right? With When you think about what's happened with the pandemic, with adoption of digital technologies, you know, video, all the regulation changes that are occurring with price transparency, et cetera, that it felt like there was a really unique time to do something special in the market. And to me, it felt really important to go with a company that had its roots in innovation mm. and to work for a company that puts over half of its 2000 plus employees in products and R&D was really important. So that was that was one key piece. The other key piece for me was a really big focus on diversity and inclusion and, and having more than half of their leaders, executive team. Um, be female uh, and and to you know diverse group of folks was super important. Having worked in healthcare IT for a really long time, we don't find that as often as we should. And so for me, it felt really important that those two things were were on point, and I was very intentional in finding a place that that had both of those in their spotlight. Wow, that's really interesting and really empowering too. To a company is putting such an emphasis on that, um, and in this healthcare innovation space. So, you know, we're going to talk a little bit today about you know some of the patient expectations in communication with with their healthcare providers and with clinicians. And I'm wondering, you know, how is consumerism really impacting patient expectations for, um, and what does that mean for providers and payers and pharmacies? 
Yeah. You know, we did a study uh, about a year ago that that talked to over 700 patients and 150 patient experience professionals just to really understand what's going on in the market. And it really bore out what I think we all feel, which is consumerism is at the heart of things. People are really, um, their expectations have changed and their ability to act on that has also changed. So we found that over 67% of people are actually willing to change their providers if they have even a single poor experience which I think that that's never been the case before. If you think about, you know, the, even the Gen X and the, and the baby boomer generations, you went to the doctor, you stayed with their same physician for as long as you lived in the same town, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you didn't really switch unless something drastic happened. They retired or, or you just had a really horrible experience. But today, I mean, if you talk to my son, my daughter, they don't have a primary care doc. They, they've moved to different towns, they're doing different things, and, and it's just not a priority. They want instant access. They want the ability to get to where they want to and, and do it via different channels, right? They want to do a video visit. They want to have a conversation over you know, text. They don't want to have to call. They don't want to have to wait between nine and five and miss work and things like that. That's huge. That's a big change that we haven't seen. There's a lot of new entrances into the market that are really focused on that. So there are options that are covered. And and we're seeing a lot of traditional providers pivot to be able to handle that and to provide that, especially when the pandemic hit, there was a huge shift to do that. So I think we're now seeing people go back and look and see how, you know, did I, did the things that I put in um, during the pandemic to accommodate what I had to do in the moment, really working. So again, huge shift, huge flux in in sort of how folks are thinking about things and, and really looking at um, the retailers jumping in. If you look at Walgreens, CVS, Walmart, Amazon, all really jumping into the space in a huge way. There's a big push to kind of bring that inf- inflection point of between retail and healthcare together. Oh, so true. And so, you know, just in a practical sense, what are some things that all of these people can be doing to help improve that patient experience to help, mm-hmm. you know, kind of get that patient uh, to to give them the best care possible? That's a great question. I think um, there's some really basic things to start with. I think the basics uh, are really looking at um, omnichannel experience. And that's more than just a portal, right? I think a lot of folks have put in portals over the years it's fine. It's not real time, right? You know, I, I have, I've put I've put questions in my portal and it's taken over a week for my physician to get back to me. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about real time um, or, or at least asynchronous kind of discussions that can happen in a much quicker turnaround time. People have questions they want they have, to have answered. So they also want automation. They want the ability to schedule and reschedule appointments without having to wait on hold for 20 minutes. Um, just to get to someone and then have them not know and understand who they are, their journey. So the personalization is also really important. So being able to be fully integrated into the EMR and the system of record and understanding who that patient is in their journey with you, assuming they've been there before, all of those things should be present and easily accessible to either the agent or the digital virtual agent that that the either people are speaking with um, via di- via text or or, or chatbot or whatever. That's so interesting. Interesting in retail, you know, spaces. This is happening. This exactly. kind of this kind of thing is happening. If I go to Whole Foods and I'm ordering something, they knew what I they've known what I've ordered in the past. And they're probably targeting you with new stuff all the time based on exactly. something that is like so you. It does make a lot of sense to have that just be a part of the care process. Correct. 
Yeah, very interesting. I'm wondering, you know, obviously COVID-19, huge impact on the adoption of virtual care and digital tools and, you know, a few more of these omni-channel options. You know, to what extent have, you know, healthcare stakeholders been successful and what are some things they might need to do to, you know, shake things up or improve? It's a great question. I think that there, I think of things as three legs to the stool, right? You've got your technology, which you want to make sure that you get the best technology to go towards what your goals are. But there's also process redesign and culture. Um, really looking at how do you get the best out of that technology, which is also really important because as easy as it sounds to automate your scheduling, <laughs> it's highly complex. So being able to sort of walk through and get adoption from the physician stakeholders who are the the ones that are sort of at the end of the appointment, uh, we need to really make some moves and some discussions around how do we automate more things to allow them to become more easily uh, done offline out in different times so that you can deliver a more empathetic, personalized journey in healthcare when you are actually speaking to somebody. Hmm. And how, how does the industry find that balance between automate, you know, automation and personalization? You know, yeah. what do they do to find that balance? Yeah. It's definitely a struggle. I think that, um, I think that some, um, uh, Organizations are much more forward-thinking in this. Um, if you look at the Methodist in Houston, um, if you look at Memorial Healthcare down in uh, down in Florida, um, if you look at the Mayo Clinic, you know you, you're sort of looking at thought leaders that are out there ahead, thinking about how do we adopt things in a different way. I actually heard Mayo um, talk about even changing how they measure patient experience. Wow. Um, a lot of folks are looking at you know just your regular HCAP scores, which of course you're going to have to have. Those are measurements that are important for reimbursement and for um, ratings. But when you think about it, that's, that's, did we do the right thing in the moment in an acute care setting? If you think about patient experience, it starts when you, when you make a phone call or you go to a website, that's your initial touch. And most other industries have already figured that out, right? They're not, they're not thinking about mm -hmm. it just mm -hmm. being in the moment. They're thinking about the entire patient experience. So, so thinking about that as a first step, the other step I think that's really important is thinking about the patient as a consumer, you know, we're con healthcare consumers, always patients sometimes. We're not always a patient. Sometimes we're looking to get services done, but maybe it's for our, um, you know, our family members or or things like that. And um, and and to always sort of think of folks as a patient, um, I think that that starts the cultural shift a little bit to think about how that looks. And if you think about the dynamic between physicians and patients, there's definitely a hierarchical discussion that's going on there. There's different feeling about that versus a healthcare consumer. So those are all just cultural things that need to shift. And, and, and you, if you talk to different organizations, there are different points in their journey. We call it kind of a, a, a maturation model. So some folks are still back in definitely voice, you know, we're only doing, you know, we're calling people patients, you know, we're not, we're not, we're not anywhere along that journey. And then you've got some that are really, you know, they're looking at how do we, how do we measure that differently right now? We're looking at MPS, but then we want to also measure how we make you feel. I mean, think about that kind of a measurement. So, so I think that that there's a there's a continuum, and we're going to see a continuum. That's pretty standard in any industry, but especially in healthcare. You've got those that are forward looking, and those that are really going to um, take a little bit. And a lot of it has to do with resources too, and just how much time they have to really spend on this. We're all stretched really thin right now with the combination of the pandemic and all the clinical resources that are being stretched, and the great resignation, and just there's a lot going on. 
Wow, very interesting. You know, and we also, you know, been hearing a lot in the industry kind of surrounding this topic about, you know, patients wanting a frictionless experience. And I, I it's very interesting to me the way that you see the patient's journey being from the first time they call the health system to the care event itself to then post care mm-hmm. and their actual outcomes and experience. Um, what is it? look like for a patient to have a frictionless experience? And what what does that really even mean to you? Yeah. So I think about this a lot, having, uh, you know, older parents, having taken care of kids as well. You know, I've sort of seen the entire spectrum from pediatrics all the way into now geriatric care and, and really complex chronic disease management with my mom before she passed. Wow. Healthcare is really, really hard to navigate, you know, and then add mental health on top of it. That's a whole nother area that's just really, really difficult to navigate. So I think there's places we can start. Um, The places that we can start is really that personalized experience where we understand who the patient is. I think it's really important to make things more proactive. So if you've been in the hospital and you've been discharged, typically what happens is you get a packet of paper and with with your post-discharge instructions and a phone number to call. Call your call your doc, call this specialist, whatever. And it's really on you. Mm. We've got to start making these things more proactive. It also helps with keeping things in your in your organization as well. They're not going to leave the organization and go to a different organization to see a specialist. So it's really important. And, and then then coordination of care is easier as well. So I think there's a lot we can do about personalizing the experience automating as much as we can so that we can do things offline. If you're like you and I, and we're on Zoom calls all day, it's really it's really difficult to then take the time to call. So what happens is you push it off. Um, and so I think it's important to make things proactive, automated, different channels so that you have a channel of choice in order to interact. I think then it's also important to, um, to make sure that you're pulling all of these things together in channels that can communicate so that you're not creating additional silos of communication, which happens often as well. So those are some really, um, I won't say easy, but they are some quicker hits that you can do today uh, that are available right now and able to do. And then you start to make those journeys. You start in say patient access and a revenue cycle, and then you start to move out into the organization and bring different areas in. Wow. That is very inspiring to think about that that is available today and that can be what organizations can do to help improve this patient's experience and reduce some of the friction that's, you know, sometimes happens in, in this whole process of, of getting care. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and and keeping care, having your regular visits, et cetera. Um, so I want to turn our attention a little bit today to now towards your personal career journey. A lot of uh, uh, the people that listen to Hit Like a Girl love to hear about you as a as a woman executive here in Hit, killing it. So tell us a little bit about how you landed in healthcare. <laughs> so I have a bit of a um, different journey. You know, I actually started as a as a scientist. I have a master's degree in biology. So I didn't start in the business side. I started on the science side, uh, which probably gave me a lot of that, um, uh, you know, process. 
piece that I have to my brain and looking at how do we improve different aspects. But started there, um, moved into uh, actually working with biotech and 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 pharma folks and automating manual processes over there. I, I, I was a bench scientist, so I was able to sort of work with those organizations on how do we scale up and do things like the Human Genome Project back in the day. And how do we start with, you know, high throughput screening and looking at disease targets and different things like that. So I started over there. So I, I followed that. <clears throat> how do we take manual processes and scale them up and do things in an automated way over into the pharmacy? And and uh, started working with McKesson on how do we redesign um, cart fill, <laughs> wow. uh, you know, and, and, and really with the focus on how do we get that pharmacist out of the basement and onto the care team and, and as part of that care team on the floor in the in the acute care space. And followed that over through the clinical side into how do I work through um, really redesigning medication safety and then going into more um, full general clinical aspects. Um, so I've always really followed process redesign mm -hmm. um, and, yeah. and how do we make things just easier and less error prone and, you know, really thinking about um, taking that uh, as much of the human touch um, making it where it's important yes, as opposed yes. to allowing there to be opportunity for error. So taking those pieces out and then, and then really redirecting and focusing where folks can practice at the top of their license, no matter which license it is, if it's a nurse, if it's a physician, or if it's a, a pharmacist, all of those things are super important. And then pulling that all together. And so that also also ended up having those thoughts sort of made me also move up in organizations as well, because I always thought about things from a high level perspective. Yes. And, and such a holistic perspective, mm -hmm. seeing it from, you know, the biotech through the pharma, through the pharmacy, now through the you know clinical side and having that understanding of the entire yeah. healthcare ecosystem is, is very helpful. In addition to that science brain you have. <laughs> so tell me what's most fulfilling about the work that you're doing today? Yeah. I think, you know, I have such a passion for healthcare. I think it's so personal. We we all have either gone through something ourselves, a family member has gone through it. And I think anytime you go through something really in depth and having had um, a mental health issue on the one side and the chronic disease on the other, I've really experienced healthcare for so many different areas. And for me, it's a huge passion to improve it. It's so important to all of us. And, you know, anytime I can get in there and I can work with organizations to really make a major impact about how do we help health systems? Because I don't think there's anything, any area of the world that you can be in that you can have this just big connection because it's such a good state to be in, right? Being in healthcare, you know, you're doing good. You know, you're out there trying to improve healthcare outcomes, people's lives. There's not a lot of other verticals that you could feel that way about. So you can really throw your whole heart into it. And for me, having started funny enough in ecology and conservation biology, wanting to change the world, I didn't end up doing that on the, on the ecosystem side, but thinking about it from the healthcare side. And that's been a really big aspect for me for my whole life, wanting to really just help improve the world. Truly, truly helping improve outcomes, improve processes to help better outcomes. It's so inspiring. What advice would you give to women beginning their careers in the industry that might be interested in going into a similar, similar field that you're in now? Yeah. So I think what's really important is instead of thinking about jobs, thinking about skill sets, mm -hmm. what are the skill sets that you mm -hmm. are really good at and really enjoy? 
And then starting to sort of lean into those and how do you leverage them to get better? A lot of people really focus on the areas of deficit. I like to come from areas of strength. I think if you come from your area of strength, first of all, you're going to be more successful because your ability to improve it is much better. And you also enjoy it so much more. So if you can come to it with such a big, you know, bigger passion and more energy, you're going to stand out more, more clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're, you know, spending time just, oh gosh, I'm not, maybe I'm not as good at writing. So I'm going to spend a bunch of time over here. Well, you're probably going to get this much better. But if public speaking is really your area and you want to lean into that, you can work through the other aspects of things and build teams that can help plug areas that aren't as big a strength for you, which also builds diversity of thought, which is is so important because you can get people that have different skill sets, you build a great team and uh, and that's how you really win. Wow. I love that concept of really understanding your strengths, but also understanding how your brain works best and and leaning into that. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Really, I've People never had to get there. I will tell you, because you spend a lot of time in your your um, your area of feeling sort of um, uncomfortable, and you 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 maybe have confidence issues, and so you sort of really focus on that. And my my advice would be don't don't spend all the time over there. Spend your time over here where you have your strengths, and really go from that. Build the confidence, get success, and and all of a sudden you're going to see yourself rolling a lot better. Wow, that's really interesting. Now, to finish off this conversation, right, where can our listeners find you online? Ah, um, well, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, and you can also, of course, go to TalkDesk. And there's a lot of information that we post and, uh, and, and, and talk through. My thought leadership is on there. It's always on my LinkedIn as well. Those are probably the two best places to find me. That's terrific. Now, before I forget, did you happen to bring tea or coffee with you today? Ah, I noticed I have my Phoenix friends on because, you know, (laughs) going into the playoffs. (laughs) They also go really well with the talk desk purple. That it does go very well. I love orange and purple. That is great. Oh, do you like sports? Do you, you know, I track do, basketball? I do. I love basketball, but I also am an equestrian. I I spend, if you're not finding me here doing work, I'm usually on my horse, probably chasing cows <laughs> or trail riding. That is too good. Well, thank you, Patty, for joining us. It was so great to chat with you today. Great to talk to you too, Grace. And thank you folks for joining us. Check out the Hit Like a Girl podcast website and YouTube page for more great guests like Patty today. Cheers. Cheers. Like a Girl Media is more than a media network. It's a community. We want to meet you and amplify your voice and the voices of outstanding women innovating in healthcare. Interested in starting your own podcast or hosting an event near you? Connect with us online or in person. We're here to support and empower you. 